1: Welcome to Catholic Baltimore. I'm George Matasek, digital editor for the Archdiocese of Baltimore. French Jesuit missionaries began arriving in what is today Canada and parts of the United States more than 400 years ago to bring Christianity to Native American tribes. Driven by a strong desire to serve God and give their entire lives to him, they underwent incredible ordeals and faced brutal torture from Native American tribes that viewed them with suspicion. In total, eight Jesuits were martyred for their faith, including six priests and two laymen. The Feast of the North American Martyrs is celebrated October 19th in the Catholic Church in the United States. Joining us to talk about what inspired these heroic priests and laymen is Father Brian Nolan, pastor of St. Isaac Jogues in Kearney, a parish named for one of the martyrs. Father Brian, thanks for being here on Catholic Baltimore. Thank you for having me, George. Father Brian is no stranger to this show because he's also one of the co-hosts, and he and I were talking about this topic a while back, and we realized that we share a passion for learning about these particular saints. How did you first discover the North American Martyrs, Father Brian?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. When I was in seminary, uh, we had roommates in seminary in my first couple years, and we used to read a, I used to read a book out loud. It was a book called, The Saints Show Us Christ. So they were like about a page or part of a page each day about the story of a saint. I remember seeing the life of Saint John de Brébeuf, who I'd never heard of, and I started reading it, and I realized it was like, then he was captured, then he was tortured, and then, and, and the tortures lasted for 17 or 18 hours, mm-hmm. and they did some such pretty extreme things, and I remember saying like, how come I've never even heard about him? And it was so amazing, and hearing their other North American martyrs and the the French Jesuits that came over. So I was very intrigued, and then just asking myself that question, how come I haven't heard about that? And how come we're not sharing the stories with others?
1: Who were the North American martyrs?
2: So the North American Mm -hmm. martyrs were French Jesuits who had this missionary zeal of, we want the whole world to know uh, about Jesus Christ. We want the whole world to know the good news, that there is a God who knows us, a God who loves us and a God who came to save us uh, from slavery to sin and Satan. And when I read about the martyrs, you start to realize that, especially as there's this new world and it was called New France at the time, they said, we wanna be part of sharing the gospel with them. Even though we know it's gonna involve a lot of hardships and sacrifices, we wanna be part of this missionary uh,
1: endeavor to New France or the new world. And these were some of the most educated men in the world at the time. Many of them were expert linguists and they had training in philosophy and theology. Some of them had scientific knowledge. What motivated them to leave all that behind to come to this new world where they knew that martyrdom was not only a possibility, but a a strong probability?
2: Yeah, you realize it really was the love of the Lord and a great zeal. And you had to have a lot of human skills and the natural linguists skills, or you had to have also a certain type of, a, uh, of temperament. You had a certain type of perseverance through a lot of uh, a sacrificial life that you knew that you were going to experience. When it came, you can read in the letters where they spoke about this. They said, when you come, you're going to be in canoes for long hours, if not the whole day. If you start paddling, you have to not stop paddling and you can't complain about it. You would have the heat that many would experience in uh, upstate upstate new york you had biting flies you had fleas in your bed you had uh, the mosquitoes if you've ever been in northern new york in the summers there's a lot of mosquitoes mm-hmm. and so you would have had uh, the very cold winters the hot summers and it was this experience of show great perseverance courage never complain and and work hard and help help among the tribes that they basically uh, befriended the huron indians mm-hmm. And said, through our witness and through our uh, taking part in the life of the tribe, uh, it's through that
1: that ultimately we can spread the gospel. I remember when I first started college when I was in my late teens back in the early 1990s. I was at Loyola College, which is now Loyola University, Maryland. And I was in the library one day just perusing the books, and I came across a collection of old yellowed writings in French with English translations. The volumes were copies of the Jesuit relations, which were the actual reports that the Jesuits in New France wrote and then sent back to their superiors in Europe. And I just sat down and started reading them and I was so inspired by these amazing tales. These men showed such incredible bravery. Yes, and and it's interesting because these stories fascinated Europe.
2: They would send these letters uh, back to, and, and all of Europe was reading about these Jesuits doing evangelization in New France or the New World. And so, just like you are captivated, it captivated all of Europe at the time and continues to captivate us to this day. So take the case of uh, Father Isaac Jogues and his companions. Here he's coming over to the New World. They're uh, connecting with the Huron, uh, uh, the Native Americans of the Huron tribe. The Iroquois and the Hurons, uh, the Iroquois were were especially, I guess you'd say, uh, very violent and very kind of a a warring tribe. And so you didn't want to be captured by the Iroquois. And so Father Isaac had committed basically to say, I'm going to stay with the Native Americans of the Huron tribe. I'm going to stay with them. So one time when they were coming down the river, uh, they were surrounded by Iroquois. A number of the Hurons scattered. And Father Isaac just decided, and several of the others, Jean de uh, La Land and also uh, René Goupol, uh, they they basically said, we're staying with them. We're not going to leave. A number of them had not been baptized and they said, we want to be available because we know many of them would be tortured, including us, and many of them possibly might be killed. So they risked their life and and they were captured. Then they would go from settlement to settlement. And each time they came, they went through different tortures. And in the case of Father Isaac Jogues, he's known as a double martyr because here was a case where uh, he was a prisoner for uh, several years. And then he escaped through one of the fur traders, one of the Dutch fur traders. And then after he came back to Europe, if you remember the case, he went back and he got there late at night on the doorstep of the superior. And he knocked on the door and uh, one of the Jesuit brothers answered the door. He said, I'd like to speak to the superior. And said, Will well, he's sleeping. He said, please tell him I'd like to I have word back from the new world. And the superior came up and they said, Great to see you. We are happy to have you. Have you heard news from uh, Father Isaac Jogues? And he said, the one standing before you is he. Hmm. And it was this very powerful experience where they realized, wow, you you have such courage and such faith and the sacrifices that you've made. And you escaped. And after about a month or so, Father Isaac Jogues felt very out of place. He was this like celebrity there. And he really had a sense of, I want to go back. He got permission, at that time he had had his fingers um, both sawed off with a shell or chewed off, uh, a little bit of both, and uh, so he he got permission from the pope to celebrate mass with the stubs of his fingers. Mm -hmm. The pope's response was, how can a martyr of Christ uh, not drink from the blood of Christ? Mm -hmm. And he got permission to celebrate mass with the stubs of his fingers, and he went back, and it wasn't that long after that he was captured, as he was helping to make peace, uh, in a peace accord with tribes. And that began uh, a whole nother year of imprisonment prior to his martyrdom.
1: And then one of his companions was Saint Rene Gopil. Who was actually a layman. Yes. What do you know of, of his story? He's an interesting story because he wasn't able to be
2: a Jesuit. He desired to be a Jesuit, but he apparently had some hearing issues. They speak of him as deaf. I'm not sure if he could read lips or what exactly the case was. So he was a uh, kind of a lay Jesuit, along with, um, with another, uh, and he was especially gifted at uh, doing like basic little surgeries, or kind of almost like a doctor, did kind of medical uh, help, and, and he was a hard worker that would help the missionaries in any way. So it was one of these experiences of um, just, yeah, very powerful experiences, and he was martyred there.
1: We should point out that there were a variety of reasons why some of the American Indians distrusted the Jesuits. In many cases, various tribes were suffering from diseases, crop failures, or other catastrophes that they blamed on Christianity and the black robes, the Jesuits who preach Christianity. Today, there are two shrines to the North American martyrs. One is in New York and the other in Canada. If you've ever, if uh, those who have ever been to Rome, you know, you can go to the Colosseum or next to the Colosseum, the
2: Circus Maximus, where a lot of Christians were martyred. But in the United States, there's not a lot of areas where people have been martyred in the United States. But here, Albany, New York, is less than six hours from here. And uh, Midland is two hours north of Toronto, is where uh, St. John de Brebeuf and and other martyrs uh, were martyred. So the reality is, in the United States, it's significant on the East Coast that we can visit these national shrines and places of pilgrimage uh, to pray, uh, to pray for the grace of great faith, pray for the grace of perseverance in difficulties to pray for our loved ones and even willing to lay down our life for others mm-hmm. in imitation of these martyrs
1: and you've been to the shrine in New York
2: yeah, the, the shrine is located about 45 minutes northwest of Albany New York and it's a very powerful experience it's kind of an uh, kind of, it's a shrine but it's kind of a, almost an untouched area it's like you're kind of going back in time so They have the outline of where the fort was, where the Iroquois fort was. So you can really imagine of saying, this is about the size of the fort, and this is where they lived. So it's like walking through almost like a park, but an untouched park. So it's a very peaceful setting. It's a very powerful place to pray. If you look uh, off the hill, uh, you can see the river where they would have come in. And they literally have an area called the Hill of Torture, Mm -hmm. (laughs) where they would have had to run the gauntlet.
1: And that was a practice of torture where a prisoner was made to run between two rows of Indians who who beat the prisoner up as he ran through. Can you imagine
2: uh, that that experience? So you're kind of meditating on the the perseverance and the courage that they would have had. There's the walk of uh, St. René Goupil. It tells his story where his situation was he was in one of the the uh, the areas, the, the housing areas, and he made the sign of the cross on a child's forehead. And when he did that, they were like, he cursed him, he cursed him. And it was that point they decided they were going to, he was going to be tomahawked. And they have the area is uh, Father Isaac and he went on a rosary walk. And they have the area, it's like between this area and that area. That's where it happened. And that's where that's where he, he died. Mm. They have a Colosseum church, a Colosseum kind of shaped church that has an image of the herb of the martyrs. It seats 10,000 people, hmm. but it has a relics of a number of the martyrs that we do have uh, relics of. And finally, there's the ravine. Uh, you walk into what would be a ravine near a stream, and all we know is René Pool is buried somewhere down there. We don't know where, but we know from the accounts that that's where he was buried. So it really is sacred ground, holy ground. It is a very powerful place to pray. We would bring our college students there, and. Uh, We got permission to go down at night where they would just take a flashlight, and you read the story as you're walking down in the ravine. They have signs up that break out one of the letters that Father Isaac Jogues wrote to uh, tell the story of what happened. It's a very beautiful and powerful place to pray and to do a pilgrimage.
1: In addition to the North American martyrs who are recognized as canonized saints in the church, there were also examples of holiness among the American Indian Christian converts, many of whom faced the same kinds of torture inflicted on the Jesuits. Um, A few years ago, St. Kateri Tekawitha, who was inspired to become a Christian after hearing the teachings of the Jesuits, became the first Native American saint. How does her story fit into the larger story of the North American martyrs? So St.
2: Kateri was born about 10 years after the martyrdom of St. Isaac Jogues. So the famous saying, the blood of martyrs is the seed of Christians. And so how beautiful it is
1: that 10 years later uh, she was born our guest today is father brian nolan when we return we will talk about an encounter you can have with the saints at the back for the dead cemetery walk in Emmitsburg. i'm george Matisek. you're listening to catholic baltimore catholic news from the archdiocese of baltimore and around the world with the catholic review Cleanup continues at Esperanza Center in Fells Point, a month after a fire in a neighboring building left the Catholic Charities Outreach without a space to offer its programming designed for immigrants. Many of those programs are up and running at temporary locations, including a CC house at St. Patrick, just across Broadway from Esperanza's damaged building. To read more on this story and many more, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, this is Emily Rosenthal.
3: Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice a week updates. Just text Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android and follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at CatholicReview.org. That's CatholicReview.org.
0: You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM.
1: Welcome back to Catholic Baltimore. I'm George Matisek. Our guest is Father Brian Nolan, pastor of St. Isaac Jogues and Carney. In this season of haunted houses and cemetery walks, the Seat and Shrine in Emmitsburg offers its own version of a cemetery walk one that's focused on the saints. Father Nolan was one of the original founders of the walk. Father Nolan, how did this all get started?
2: Yeah, so we call it Back from the Dead Cemetery Walk. It began with just hearing the stories of the saints and saying, how can we not share these stories of the saints? So that was one of the inspirations. The second inspiration is when I was at uh, Mount St. Mary's Seminary. At that time, the seminary is on the campus of a college campus of of Mount St. Mary's, And the seminarians used to host kind of a pretty harmless uh, uh, haunted house where they would have like Dracula and Frankenstein. And and they used to do that every year. And it was interesting because like we weren't sure how we felt about it. Like half people were like, yeah, we've got college students where you, you spook them and then you evangelize them. The Legion of Mary would be there afterward with seminarians kind of giving out miraculous medals and other things. But there was also the thought of, why can't we do something different? why can't we do something? In in my mind, the seed was planted to say, why can't we use October to teach the faith? And it later was developed ultimately uh, to do it possibly in a cemetery, in a sacred place, to uh, to hear and and learn about inspiring stories of faith. Finally, when I was a seminarian, I was at a parish, and uh, I, I was invited to go with a youth group to a haunted hayride. And at the haunted hayride, in the very beginning, I let all of my other young people go together with the, uh, the adults, and I was with the last group. And so we went into this tent before you go on the Haunted Hayride, and the person welcomed us and said, like in a, in a spooky, scary voice, and they were like a witch or whatever, and they're like, welcome to the Haunted Hayride. Please sign your soul over to the devil. And they not only said it, they gave us a piece of paper with a pen. Hmm. Please sign your soul over to the devil. And I was, I'm was i a very calm person. I was ready to kick them, <laughs> you know, sign your soul to the devil. That's not happening. None of my people in this group are signing their soul over to the devil. And I'm realizing, you know, all my other, uh, you know, that just even in jest, you don't do that. So that idea of the way haunted hayrides many times are portrayed. Why, how can we not have an alternative to that? And that was the origin of the Back from the Dead Cemetery Walk.
1: And it's been very popular. It's grown a lot. Yes.
2: And how long? When was it first started? So it was started about, I want to say about 12 years ago. When I was up, uh, at St. John of Westminster, I was a part-time chaplain at McDaniel College. And I was inspired to start writing scripts. Scripts about the stories of the saints. So it began with the stories of the North American martyrs. And I would put St. Therese in the cemetery, talking about that she would spend her time in heaven doing good on earth. We would have Teresa of Avila's, uh, in her, diary, her biography, autobiography, it talks about her vision of hell, not because we're focusing on hell, but certainly to talk about the sobering reality of that and her experience of it. We would have uh, little two children come from heaven, and they would talk about the reality of our guardian angels, and there's people that pray for you and talk about the reality of, this, of the communion of saints. We also, uh, over time, it was this desire, we want to make it more interactive. So at times the saints knew your names. You would walk up there, and all of a sudden, them not even looking at you would say names like George, Father Brian, Sarah. And they'd turn around and say, do you know I've been praying for you? And it was these very creative ways of engaging with saints where some of them knew your names. Mm-hmm. And someone would start talking to you. And sometimes they'd run up to you. Sometimes they'd come from behind some. And sometimes you just approach them. And they would tell their stories uh, of basically uh, of, of things that included uh, what we call the last things, the reality of heaven, uh, the reality of live your life in light of eternity and the reality of uh, of, of we want to uh, choose and follow God. It also have the stories of heroic love. People, both the martyrs who laid down their life for others, for those who did spiritual and corporal works of mercy, and that every one of us is called to love.
1: And it wasn't just priest and religious that you would feature, it would be lay people as well? It, it would be a little bit of everybody because
2: the saints are uh, so diverse. But there was a time in the early days where we had probably more religious and, uh, and I asked this uh, college student, uh, her name was Veronica, and I'm like, Veronica, you're, an, you're like an actor. You should be in the cemetery walk. And she was like, do I have to play a nun? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you know what? I will write you a script. And we wrote a script for, uh, for St. Gianna Mola. And it was this powerful experience of, of having that experience of, um, of a mother in the cemetery. And that specifically, uh, as you know, the story of St. Gianna Mola You know, she would live a very ordinary life. She would go to the opera. She would go skiing, but she was also a pediatrician. She would also care for the local poor. But the question I always thought in the cemetery walk that makes it fascinating is, what happens when someone dies? What immediately happens afterward to a person? And what's their experience? Or, in the case of Gianna Mola, who gave her life ultimately for her fourth child, and this is kind of the end of the script. If you know the story that she went in to give birth on Good Friday, she gave birth on Holy Saturday, and she was kind of in and out of consciousness, but this is what she told her husband. She says this in a first person way. I still remember whispering to my husband, Pietro, I've already been to the other side. Do you know what I saw? Someday I will tell you. And then I fell into unconsciousness, she says. On the last day of Easter, I felt the life going out of my body and passed into eternity. And suddenly my whole world became filled with light. And then I saw his face. Jesus looked at me with the eyes of love and said, Gianna, there's no greater love than this. You've sacrificed your life for your child. Welcome home, my beloved
1: daughter. Your witness will inspire many to great love. Hmm. And then she walks back in the cemetery. And the cemetery walk is held at the Mother Seton Shrine in Emmitsburg? The relationship that uh, I've had with the Seton Shrine uh, began at an inspiration
2: that there was a time where we didn't have the ability to have it up in the cemetery of St. Anthony's, which was up near the grotto. And they kind of called me out of nowhere, but it really seemed like a, a time of providence. I said, Lord, if you want this to happen, you have to help show me because we can't use the cemeteries for different reasons. There was some construction going on, and the Seton Shrine called that summer. And they said, Are you all still doing that haunted walk or whatever it was? And I was like, I don't really know what they're talking about. So I got on the phone, and it was about the cemetery walk. And they said, We'd like to host it at the Seaton Shrine. Hmm. And we've been hosting it for a number of years, and it's just taken off every year. Last year, I think we had about 1,200 people come. Five, we have at least five nights that are offered. It's a powerful uh, experience of faith. And and it's just this very uh, beautiful experience of where you come away moved in a desire to grow in your love of God and love of others. So it's just been a very uh, beautiful experience. And the Seton Shrine has really really taken the the lead on it. I mean, they're pretty much front lines with running the cemetery walk and, and I work in collaboration with them and also of Mount St. Mary's.
1: It's such a great idea. We're just about out of time, but before we go, there's a great quote from St. Isaac Jogues taken from a letter that he wrote to his mother while he was serving as a missionary in New France. Could you read that to us? Sure, maybe we can leave you with his words.
2: So well must we use the time that has accorded us. We must do that in our life, which we would have wished that we did at the moment of our death. I'll repeat it. So well must we use the time that has accorded us. We must do that in our life, which we would have wished that we would, we would have done at the moment of death.
1: Father Brian Nolan, pastor of St. Isaac Jogues in Carney, thanks so much for being here on Catholic Baltimore.
2: Thank you very much, St. Isaac Jogues. Pray for us.
1: The Back from the Dead Cemetery Walk will be offered at the and Shrine in Emmitsburg, October 26th through the 28th. For more information, visit SeatonShrine.org. Again, that's SeatonShrine.org. For Catholic Baltimore, I'm George Matisek. We'll see you again next week.
4: Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770.
3: Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks, and by implementing a zero tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org.
5: Life can be hard and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator, who would be happy to speak with you.
0: Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore.